God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God we look to is recorded in Numbers chapter 21 as we see God leading his people to the promised land and we see a little detour and God needs to gain their attention and he uses snakes I'm not necessarily fond of snakes. I don't mind snakes up here in the Midwest because conveniently they often have rattles and they let you know when you're coming close and to stand back. Gardener snakes, big deal. They can't do anything to you, right? But when I move down south, uh, those snakes that are water moccasins and copperheads, they're a little different because their defense mechanism is to stand very, very still and to not warn you at all. And then when you're up on them, it's either you see them and jump away, or before you know it, they have bitten you. Didn't like that at all. And it was always a, to walk through um, long grass or in the woods. There was always that question of, are there going to be a snake there? And a couple run-ins I had with snakes was, uh, one was sitting right outside the doorway as coming to the, into the chapel, and as I opened the door, because there was this warm breeze coming through, and it was trying to stay warm on a cold night, and it came in. And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know. You can't tell if it's poisonous or not. I had to kick it to get it back out and towards the door, and it slithered back out. I scared it. It scared me. And I'm thinking, what am I doing down here? I hate snakes that are poisonous. <laughs> and then, of course, we have a preschool, and there's a snake conveniently under the bottom of the slide, and it's staying there, and we have to get it out. And a native Georgian says, we can do this. I got a garbage can and a stick and just hold up the slide and I'll put it into the garbage can. And of course, I'm holding it up with both hands and I have to wait. This unidentified snake crawls between my legs about three feet long and I have to wait for it to find out and identify whether it's dangerous or not as I sit there frozen. And then you hear the stories of people down there when they get bit and what it's like and the venom goes in and the, the, the foot gets red hot and you have to go get anti-venom quickly, especially if it's a smaller, like a baby snake, because they don't have control over how much venom they inject. It's, it's scary stuff. And so it's, it's interesting as we look at Scripture today, as, as a Christian culture, we understand that snakes don't have a very good record in Scripture. I just with the fifth and sixth graders taking them through the fall, I say you won't understand Lent unless you understand the fall into sin, and the devil assumed a snake and deceived Adam and Eve and the sin that we now experience in life is it began there with the lie and if in scripture you're called a snake that wasn't an endearing term and even today even today if you're called a slithering snake or you're a snake in the grass that is not something that speaks well of you and yet in this section of scripture we see God sending snakes or allowing snakes uh, among his people. And, and then for us to understand why God would, would take something that's so negative and something that is so deadly and let it be among his people, when, when in the whole Epiphany season we see God coming in the flesh to save people, those lessons today, God is here to save people, to rescue people, to deliver them from death. Why would he now bring something that, that brings death? It, it doesn't make sense, but, but it does especially when God needs to get your attention. Nothing gets your attention like something like a snake or, or something that brings danger. And I guess to understand what was happening here and why God was doing what he was doing, we have to happen, understand what happened before here. 
God had rescued his people and was going to make them into this great nation out of Egypt, and he used his power with, with all the plagues, and he used his power to guide them through the parting of the Red Sea to destroy Pharaoh's army. And there it was on Mount Sinai. He delivered his law, that covenant they made. And in this wilderness, I've been through it, it is bleak. There is nothing there that you'd say, that's where I want to retire. It is an area that doesn't have much growth, where life is very hard, and yet this huge, growing nation would dwell there, and God led them through with a pillar of fire and, and a pillar of cloud and made sure to protect them. And when they ran out of food, it was rained down from heaven, and when they ran out of protein, God sent meat, quail. And every day they could gather and God protected them and guided them and guarded them right up to the promised land. And as they got to this area, the people rebelled against God. It just, they were right there. God had led them straight through and they rebelled against God. And God says, that's it. This nation is going to die in the wilderness. We will raise up another nation under my promises and I will deliver them to the promised land. So go ahead and wander if that's what you want. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and a whole generation died except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. They were the only three that God allowed to come out of that nation. And now God, again, was leading them up to the promised land after 40 years, and they come up to the kingdom of Edom. And the king of Edom, seeing this nation, I mean, this nation that had their God right in the midst of them, I'm sure scouts would tell them the way they act, and every day it would rain down food from heaven. And I'm sure that the king of Edom says, we don't want this nation to come through and take over our nation to come down the, the major caravan. It was the easiest way to get to where they were going. And the king says, no, you will not come through. And God says, just go around. That's fine. It's going to take a few more days and a few more miles, but just go around Edom. And that's what Moses was in the process of doing, and that just seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> that is it. Seriously, this is what the people said. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. None of them had been in Egypt. They probably just heard their grandparents and parents complain about slavery in Egypt. They'd only been in the wilderness, but all of a sudden now, as they are just on the next horizon as the promised land, they are done. This is it. This detour is not what we expected. God, why don't you just get rid of this nation Israel and lead us through you and your promises? Look what we're experiencing here. More time in the wilderness. We hate this situation. We hate what we don't have. And we hate this miserable food. God records this not just so that we can look back at Israel and say, seriously? You were so close. Does this speak words into our hearts and lives too? Sometimes when, when things are not going as we planned or, or life is, is taking a segue that we don't enjoy, we get a little bit frustrated and our focus just is absorbed on this, whatever it is we're facing. And it's not at all looking this direction, it's instead looking this direction. And we start complaining, and maybe it's not malicious, but it sure is self-interested. And our prayers change, and our attitude changes, and sometimes our actions change too. God, why aren't you? And we start focusing on what God isn't doing, 
and failing to remember what, what God has always been doing. And that's a real problem. And that's what was happening here. You know what? For years and years and years, God gave them everything they needed to sustain their life. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their heart would get up every morning and start beating. And, and they had food, enough food for that day for everything that they needed. They lacked nothing. And God was there supplying that need. But all of a sudden, when things didn't go the way they had planned, what, how come, you, why not, me? Do we sometimes have the list? We look at the things that, that we don't have and what God seems to not be doing, and we say, why don't I have a better life? Uh, a better body that behaves and is not sick or looks better? Why don't I have better friends or have a better situation or a, an easier uh, life? Why am I not healthy? Why don't I have a better house? Or why don't I have a better spouse? Why is my family like this when I see other families like that? Why, how come, God? I hate, I hate this detestable food. And then God has to tap us on the shoulder in a very firm way and remind us, hey, your attention, please. Do you see what I have been doing in your whole life? I have been doing exactly what I promised to do, and now because of this, in this case it was a little route around a kingdom, and just on the horizon was everything that I had laid out for you, so excited to deliver, but you can't be patient, you can't trust Instead, you overreact, and it's toward me. Now, now, God is a God of grace and love and mercy, but when our actions and attitude and our fist shakes at our God, he does not re react with grace and mercy. Instead, he needs to get our attention, and this is what he did in this situation. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. God was not angry to destroy his people. He did not say, that's it, I'm going to wipe you out. Snakes, kill them all. Could have. Some, some did die, and, and what happened is the people's attention was drawn right back to God. Sometimes that happens in our life too, and if it hasn't happened recently, it will happen because we have the devil who works very hard. He still is that serpent sneaking into our lives. We have the world around us and things come our way and we have questions and there is hurt and there is pain and there is sadness and there is loneliness. But can God work good through these things? I think so. Otherwise, God would not allow them and God redirects us back to him rather than to us and what we don't have and what God isn't doing and God reminds us what he is doing and will always do. And this generation was different than the last generation that rebelled against God. This generation realized when the snakes came, whoa, we shouldn't have done that. Look, look at their reaction. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. What happened when they rebelled against God by thought and action? They went to God and said, We have sinned. Have mercy. Isn't that the whole life of the Christian? 
We did it again, God. Why? Why am I so self-interested? Why do I obsess on what I need to have in my experiences now? Why do I fail you? We come here confessing corporately in church. We did the sixth commandment today. In Lent is a special time to this, this sober time to look and assess at our lives. And when we come to God and say, it happened again, have mercy on me, God's reaction is always the same. He doesn't say, to death with you, to hell with you, he says, instead, I forgive you. I understand the problem, and that's why I took it on. I became what you can't be, and that's why Jesus did come. He came to become the solution for all that is wrong, all that is broken, all that can't be fixed. And the things in life that we try to get and try to have that don't bring any lasting peace, any lasting comfort, God redirects us by taking the attention away by the things that come and using that to bring us back to him and his promises. And that's what the nation Israel did. And, and know what God did? He answered the prayer. This is what God's reaction was to it. So the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who was bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked the bronze, at the bronze snake, they lived. God, God relented of what he could bring and instead brought them a solution to the problem. If you are bitten by this snake, look and you will live. And it wasn't the bronze snake on a, on a pole that saved them. Not at all. That would be ridiculous. Instead, it was the promise connected to that. When you look at that and understand who is behind this promise, you will live. Isn't that the way God acts too? He comes to us in things that we can see in front of us and, and sometimes even like we have this in front of us, the cross, what does that remind us of? Sin and all its shame and the consequences of sin, it's right there before us and, and it makes us sad and say that Jesus had to die on that and we move up towards Good Friday where we see God's suffering under the weight of all sin and it makes us heartbroken that Jesus would have to do this. But that same thing where we see God suffer is also the solution to sin and its shame and its guilt and it allows us to see the promises of God fulfilled. It is finished. All that God wishes to give is, is given right there. God says, here, believe it. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Today you get just a little tiny bit in your hand of wheat and, and a little bit of wine, and, and yet the promise of God says everything that was done, the shedding of blood, back then is is yours today and the promise is not only yours today it guarantees a forever future isn't it amazing how how god acts through things that we can see and and then he connects them to the promises where he delivers but there's one there's one more thing that needs to be spoken about because in the situation where we always have God making promises towards our eternal future, we're happy about that. We know where we're going, but, but what about now? Did you notice that, that God, God didn't completely answer the prayer the way the people prayed it? The people prayed that, that to, to God, please have the Lord take the snakes away from us. Did you notice at the end here that, that God didn't take the snakes away? 
He only gave a bronze snake to look at. So when you're bitten, then look at the bronze snake and, and you'll live. So there was a solution, but the snakes remained. Why did God do that? Why did God allow that, that, that sadness, that fear, that sorrow to remain? As you look at it, you know what it tended to do when you're in the middle of snakes that can kill and in problems that seem unsolvable? You know where your attention goes? It goes back to the one who gives life, who has the power to intervene. It reminds you of all the things that are bad there in front of me that can sneak up in life and bring real sadness and sorrow. God is consistent in providing God is consistent in caring and using his power to carry it all out and he has your eyes pointed to the land of milk and honey just on the next horizon. And so today, God doesn't come to you with a promise that if you pray to him, all the sadness, the sorrow, and the snakes go away. That's just not the way it is. And, and I promise you that if God did, every time you prayed to take this away, the peace that would give you of, of good health, a, a good marriage, a good life, more money, a better house, a better body, an easier way, those would not bring lasting peace. They would not give you what you think they would. They would be so temporary because it's only for this life. But then God does this. He allows these things to keep our attention. It was an interesting fact I learned. I never thought about this. It's an aha moment. Do you want to know what the children, of Israelite, the children of Israel did for 40 years in the wilderness? They complained. And when God left the snakes at the tail end here, you know what we never hear from them until the, all the way into the promised land? They never complained, not even once. Because their eyes and their attention was on God. And so maybe God, as we trust in him and see where his heart is at and what he is capable of doing, God is using these things that we face the problems and the worries that seem looming to get our attention onto him. Because when our attention is on him, he will never disappoint. He comes to bring everything that he promises. In life, he is going to take care of you. You do not have to worry about that. He will provide everything you need. You are a dear child of him, and he is your father. You can trust in him. So, dear people, let's look at our life a little differently. Even though the snakes crawl around, look to God's promises, and you will live. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace and hope of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ, direct our attention and direct our hearts to the promises of God, to which he always delivers. Amen. I invite you to open your mouth